Hello and welcome to This Just Is. My name is Ian Friedman and I am a human as are you. And what an amazing thing it is that we found each other. I hope that you're doing okay. I hope that things are going as well as they can for you in this current climate. I know that this is an unprecedented space that we're all in and it's okay to be a little freaked out by it. Many people's lives have been affected, whether it be financially, health-wise, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. A lot of people feel anger and frustration for a myriad of reasons. I think it stems from fear, personally speaking, from my own experience and just observing the state of things. I felt that fear and frustration, and and it has affected me in my life at times, even before this crisis, uh, fear and anger are things I've had to address in my past and still have to continue to address occasionally, and many people uh, have to do the same. Fear leads to panic. Panic leads to pain. Pain leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. That is from the song Danny Nadelko by the band Idols. You should check them out. Joe Talbot is the lead singer, uh, lyricist. And I think it's a very pertinent passage from that song about the nature of fear and what it can lead to. And, you know, people are afraid and they're afraid that They'll get sick or their loved ones will. They're afraid that they'll lose their jobs, their income, housing, ability to support their families, their way of life. Uh, And that's already happening. That's a reality. Those fears are real. But I think it's important to not take that fear and translate that fear to anger and blame other people. That doesn't seem to be productive at all. It may feel good to scream at others about whatever is bothering you to blame other people, but ultimately we need to point that finger to ourselves a little bit. Why are you angry? What purpose does directing the anger towards others serve? What can you do to allow yourself to feel the anger or the fear to process it and to use it constructively? What can you as an individual learn from your fear, your sadness, your rage, These are emotions that can be great teachers for us. You can make the choice to be reactive, or you can make the choice to observe your emotions and analyze them. I know that that's hard to do when you're figuring out how to pay your rent or mortgage, if your job is secure, if you can feed yourself and your family. It's pretty easy for me to say, look inward when everything is falling to shit on the outside. But what other choice do you have? And is your anger actually helping you feel better? I assure you that in the long run, it is not. So next time you feel upset or afraid or angry, allow yourself to feel this, step back from it, and see if that's helpful for you. I've had to deal with my own fear and anger a lot, and this idea of putting a little space between your emotions and your behaviors has been helpful for me. So try it. Why not? My guest today is Joe Troman. Joe is the co-founder and lead guitarist of the band Fallout Boy. If you've not heard of Fallout Boy, well, okay. They are a massive band. They are a pop punk outfit. I like calling bands outfits because I'm 90 years old. Uh, They've sold millions of records. Their videos, which are great, have literally billions of views on the internet. And they've toured the world multiple times over. Joe is not only a great musician, but he also writes for TV as well. He's a great guy, he's kind, he's smart, he's funny, and he's honest. Joe and I tend to get deep whenever we chat, and this conversation is no different. We get right into it on this episode, and I talk through some heavy stuff with him. 
but I think you'll find it fascinating and, dare I say, helpful. So here he is, my friend, Joe Troman. Uh, hey, man. Let's just stare at each other. Yeah. Um, is, that how, what, is that what most of your podcast is? Yeah, it's just staring. It's staring via Zoom. When I imagine this, my thought was, I just want to do a podcast, which is an, an audio format with no talking. So you have to watch it. And it's just people <laughs> staring at each other. Yeah. I mean, that's a good idea. It hasn't been done. How are you doing, all things considered? How am I doing? It's a loaded question. I mean, today I'm doing good. Um, it's like moment to moment. It's, you know, I feel I, where do I start? <laughs> um, so yeah. I have a, I have full awareness that, that amid this literal catastrophe, I am uh, a wealthy person that lives in a big home in my, I have two happy kids. My wife's happy. I mean, healthy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And I don't want to speak for her emotionally, but like, you know, we're all, um, we're all doing well and we have means and like, we don't need a stimulus check, a, um, a crappy stimulus check. Um, and so far, like nobody, you know, knock on, knock on wood. I'm going to knock on wood because I'm super stupid stitious. I couldn't say the words. So I just said it wrong, but also it's, it's true. I'm stupid. <laughs> um, I, uh, no, I mean, like, we're not, we don't have coronavirus. If we, we might have, you know, there's the whole thing about it coming out, you know, now that we, we, we have this idea that coronavirus was in the United States far earlier than we thought. So Marie and I, actually, we all think we might have had it already, but, you know, there's no testing. But anyway, that being said, um, I am sometimes incredibly depressed because I'm a depressive, because I have clinical depression. And certain things will happen that, you know, in my own bubble, in my own world are massive, but in the scheme of reality are not important at all. Um, so those things bother me. Um, and then, you know, no one is supposed to like live with their family like this all the time. So there's fights, small to large. I don't really know if we've had a truly large fight, but you know, bigger than normal. We get sick of each other. Uh, I see, you know, Ruby. It's my old, my my oldest child. I know you know who she is, but your listeners don't know her. They don't know Ruby yet. They don't know Ruby yet. She's six. She's my oldest child. She's struggling because she's having to share space with a two-year-old. That's my my other daughter's two. And she's demanding, you know, for attention because she's two. That's what toddlers do. They need a lot of attention. So my six-year-old, who's really sweet and really also emotional like I am, um, takes it really personally, thinks like everybody uh, doesn't like her as much, which is hard. So it's like dealing with all these things in a close space. I don't know. I'm rambling, man. No, you're not rambling at all. It makes a lot of sense. I mean... but. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I'll be blunt, man. Like, with with my depression, um, and you combine that with with the with the just relative uh, existential terror, and you combine that with any any bad news that hits, because because I I would like to think that anyone that deals with clinical depression 
can probably relate to when you get bad news, if it's big in your world and you get very affected by it. And I had like, um, as you know, I had like a spat of kind of like less than good news that went on like, like a domino effect for a week. And I like honestly thought about killing myself. I could never do it. I'm too much of a pussy to kill myself or I don't, we can debate as whether suicide is brave or not, but you know, I'm afraid to do it. I'm afraid to murder myself. And then it's also like, I do think about how much I love my family and how horrible that would be to do to them. But I, I mean, I have the thoughts, you know, they come and, and there's sometimes there were a couple of days where I was so depressed. I was like, Oh man, I just would like to walk in front of a bus. The most passive version of suicide basically ruin someone else's life by having them by mistake kill me well i mean look it's what you're talking about it's obviously very heavy stuff and i think that maybe it would be helpful for people who probably feel similar to you because you know it's it's not um it's not uncommon the way that you feel there are a lot of people that have that uh that have that that have had depression for a long time like but how, how when was the first time that you remember feeling that way in your life and how has that affected you in your life positive and or negative i mean i'm probably mostly negative but i don't think depression's been all negative i i don't think so at all well first off let me clarify those moment those suicidal thoughts are very they're not common yeah I'm not constantly thinking about killing myself there are people who are severely severely even more severely depressed than i am who are very suicidal and i don't want to take light away from from their problems again and i think what a lot of people don't understand is how chemically based this is like sometimes my depression when it exists there isn't a cause for it it isn't just because i got bad news sometimes i'm just depressed sometimes I'm just affected. It's just, it is very physical because it's very chemical. That being said, what, when was the first time I can remember feeling depressed? Oh man. I can remember it all the way back to at least kindergarten. I can remember some form of depression. And I think it comes, I think, um, it comes from a, a combination of, of genetics because because my dad is very depressed um, and also alienation. You know, I uh, before moving to the Chicago area, I grew up um, in a pretty rural area outside of Cleveland called South Russell, Ohio. And I think from like the moment I can remember, I was um, <clears throat> treated like an idiot by teachers i was never like, like, like academics weren't a thing that i picked up on well until high school almost i was kind of a shitty student for a long time partially um because uh, i felt like it was a waste of time but also because i never had anyone that could truly nurture me well a couple teachers here and there but overall you know i mean i, I got put in timeout all the time for talking too much instead of nurtured for having a, a the gift of speech you know so i think I remember those feelings uh, making me, I, I remember just this feeling very bad about myself and that, that there must be something wrong with me. And then I don't think that was constant, but I think my parents were, were, were really good about watching what was going on with me. And then by the time I was, I was 10, around 10 or 11, 
uh, I started seeing a therapist and I went on medication and I've been on uh, a few different antidepressants uh, since, uh, yeah. Which, and, and, you know, back to what I was six saying about that I don't think depression is all bad. Is I think, listen, I, I guess if there was a way to go into, if there was a procedure I could get that, that would remove my depression, like, obviously I'd feel sad sometimes, but I mean, like, remove the depression, the malaise. I think I would get it. I don't, um, I don't, I, I, like, I used to think that depression, my depression was made me good made me good at certain things creatively and I, I don't know if that's true i think i could still be good at things because i've had the experiences i've had um I, I, and those experiences are what i use to create but um my depression is part of my personality it's part of me and i think i found out how to live with it but like mostly as a friend which is strange. I know that sounds really strange. Oh, no, that, that doesn't sound strange at all. I think that when you, when you speak to people who are therapists, or at least the ones that I've spoken to, is it's very uh, dangerous to shut out parts of yourself or to say that those parts, or to try to dissociate who you are from those parts of yourself. Well, like sure. Jung, like Jung would say, like in, you're engaging with the shadow. Um, and it seems like, what you're saying of you, you be, being a friend to it, I think is probably the most gentle and um, probably helpful approach. I think people that rail against the depression and are trying to pull away from it and deny it. Well, you get, you get angry and wrestle, wrestle it are the ones who potentially succumb to it more so than, than those who are empathetic towards themselves for having this. Yeah. I also think like, I have a great awareness of my depression, but that comes from I'm some I'll be I'll be 36 in September. So I've been going to therapy for 25 years. Yeah, so you've done a lot of work. I have a lot of work I put in to try to figure out what I what depression is, how it relates to me, who I am, at, um, when I'm when I'm anxious, when I'm sad, all of these things. I'm angry, and I've developed a lot of tools to help me get out of the situations I used to get into that I couldn't get out of. I wish I had an example, but I'm sure I could come up with one while we keep talking, but I, I can, I can manage, you know, I guess one of the biggest tools, I'm a big tool. Uh, one of the biggest, one of, one of the, one of the best tools I have developed through therapy is becoming very aware mm. of my depression. I think like the, that awareness, you know, it, it comes from exploring it, dealing with it, getting to the, talking about the roots of problems, you know, everyone knows makes fun of uh, the trope of therapy about, oh, it's a place to go and, you know, talk about your parents, talk about your childhood. I mean, that's, you know, it's a big news guys. We're all born <laughs> from parents and that's who, raise us, you know, and that's, you know, all those things that happen to us along the way, good and bad are really impactful, especially now having my own kids, especially uh, one that isn't a baby um, and seeing how she is so like affected by certain things in her life. Um, you realize like how impressionable and how malleable 
they are. And then I, I take that back and think about myself. And I go, well, that was the bad thing my parents did. That was a good thing my parents did. Um, uh, but having that awareness of my depression, for the most part, it allows me to deal with it um, pretty well. Again, there's these like deep, dark moments where you think about suicide. But in those moments, I, I'm, I'm more like apt to sleep for five hours and not do anything. I don't want to see anybody or talk to anybody. And I sequester myself, which isn't great. Um, and eventually I work my way out of that because I don't like feeling that way. There is a moment, I talked to my therapist about this, was it probably last week, when, whenever, almost when, whenever the last we talked, uh, just a week ago tomorrow, um, about how sometimes when I'm, when I'm that depressed, I just want to feel the depression and I wanna be left alone. And the depression is comforting, it's familiar, it's like a blanket. Uh, and I, I just want to put it on and go to sleep. Um, but I want to be asleep for forever, even though I have these thoughts that I'd be better off dead. I fucking hate myself, all these things. I know it's not true. And that's the thing. I have, I immediately, like, while I'm having these extremely irrational emotional reactions, and, and again, when I say extremely irrational, you know, I think a lot of people will go to throwing things and screaming and, you know, kind of like maybe symptoms of bipolar disorder or schizophrenia um, that have been depicted in film and stuff. But I, I mean, like, just irrational thoughts, like wanting to think that I should be dead or that, like, I fucking suck at everything that I do. Um, while I'm having those thoughts, I have these very rational ones that go, none of this is real. Mm. And I think, like, it doesn't stop it, but... It, it it gives me that kind of like um, hope that this will end or the knowledge more, not even the hope, the knowledge that these feelings will pass this, this, uh, bout, a, this extreme yeah. bout will pass. That's a very, uh, you know, I think, you know, you found a tool that people utilize all the time to, to, uh, to stop patterns of behavior is putting space in between yourself and the behavior by, using some sort of method. And so the method of going, none of this is true, helps put space in that cycle of thoughts to kind of break the loop so that it just kind of spirals out and dissipates. I think is, yeah. is, is like just diving, diving deeper, deeper into the spiral. Cause once you, if you're able to like have the experience of understanding why you're feeling a certain way and allowing yourself to feel that way and starting to kind of self analyze and eventually putting the space in like you're doing maybe that's one of the main reasons why you're able to get yourself out of those dark and sad and horrific places yeah uh, it's, it's yeah. a lot of work it's a lot of work to get there you know i always sit, tell people how much i support therapy and medication if, it, if it's necessary i'm a proponent i'm not saying everyone should be medicated i do think everyone should go to therapy but i mean like it's easy for me to say how great it is i put in decades of work it's mm -hmm. hard for someone to just like I'm 40 years old and I've never gone to therapy, but I know I'm all sorts of messed up on the inside. It's like, I'll just go to therapy. It'll work out. Like your first therapy session will be bad. Probably. Yeah. It'll probably be bad before it gets good outside of like, even just dealing with all these repressed feelings and thoughts and memories. Your, your therapist needs to learn like every, all the players in your life. Like there's upwards of 20 people, not all friends, just that are constant players in your life and 
for a while when you start with a new therapist, you have to remind them. And a good therapist will be good at remembering this stuff. He or she will take notes. What was I just listening to the other day where somebody said, whenever you say he or she, you really just mean he, and you're just adding in she afterwards. I forget where I was hearing this. It was really funny. But I do mean he or she. I've actually, my last two therapists have been female. My current one is, is female. Um, so I am, I prefer, I'm woke. I like female therapists actually a lot. I, 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 pre I prefer them as well. I'm not a hyper-masculine guy. I connect better emotionally with women. Um, I feel more comfortable talking to, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel comfortable talking to anyone. I've had, my, my, I guess I haven't had a good male therapist since I was in high school. And I like, when I moved to New York, so I like, you know, I had, I had a great therapist in high school. And then I started touring all the time uh, in hardcore bands and then Fall Out Boy. And I just like stopped doing therapy for a long time because I was never home. Mm -hmm. You have to keep in mind like early on. And by the way, while I'm thinking all this, I've, I just want to tell you, I've been wanting to ask you how you're doing. <laughs> keep going. But I'm going to keep going. Yeah, keep going. I'll get there eventually. So yeah. when, I, when I, you know, so I was touring in hardcore bands, touring and, and then Fall Out Boy and and I was never home. I, I was uh, hundreds of days out of the year. You know, I was gone, um, which is why, you know, at this point I'm burnt out on touring. And it's, it's not that I don't love playing shows, concerts, gigs, uh, <laughs> uh, performances. Uh -huh. um, I like them all. It's just the, the traveling is rough and being away from your family and your home is hard. But that's a big reason I stopped doing therapy. And then when I moved to New York, and I think Fall Out Boy stopped. We went on a break for like almost four years. I did the damn things. We were touring, but I was home a lot more. I was like in New York, I was in my apartment. I started seeing therapists. Uh, uh, I had like a consultation with one who was cool, but didn't make like enough of an impression. I went and saw a very Freudian therapist. And for anyone that doesn't know what it's like to deal with a Freudian therapist, it's, it's old school, he or she, she or he. He or they, they, sure. Uh, the person sits there and um, just doesn't say anything. They just sit there and you feel judged. That's like an old, and, and that's usually with like, um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this know the difference between a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and a social worker. Mm-hmm. Social workers and, and psych and, and psychologists normally like can overlap in a lot of like the ways they practice. Especially social workers are very talk therapy and very social, very interactive. Um, psychiatrists can run the gamut for sure. Because uh, I've had a psychi like my psychiatrist in high school was like super social. Again, I like I'd like to be someone I can talk with. I say something, they say something back. I want to have a conversation. I want feedback. I, I need a sounding board. I need to know what is going on. I'm not just going to like discover everything by just talking aloud. I don't need a person that sits there and doesn't say anything. It makes me feel bad. And that's how that person, person made me feel like shit. I fucking hated that guy. And he's doing probably nothing wrong technically. Yeah. That's just how we practice medicine. And Did then I met, sorry. Any indication as to, I mean, you, you probably, you only saw him like once, right? No, I saw him like, 
I don't know, five to 10 times. Like he was my therapist for a bit, you know? So did he ever speak? When I got in and when I left. Really? Yeah. So what? what and I'll go all the way. And I remember his, his practice. Yeah, I lived in the, the West Village. So I was at Charles and 7th Avenue. So downtown. And I had to go all the way. At least I didn't have to cross. I didn't have to go across town, but I have to go all the way uptown to the Upper West Side. So I was schlepping all the way to the Upper West Side to go see this guy. And it just fucking blew. Like the, I hated going. I, I don't even want to get into it, but it's like, I don't understand that if they're just sitting there. Cause I have, you have seen those tropes in like movies and stuff of like this person just spilling their guts out. And then the therapist is just like nodding their head and they're like, all right, that's time. They don't even. That's say like it. every, that's every therapist trope. That's everything from like, I don't know the fucking Billy Crystal movie that I can't with uh, analyze that. That's like analyze this to like fucking family guy. I mean, it's everything. It's always like cut to, uh, you know, end of the therapy session patient on the, you know, chaise lounge lying down, staring at the ceiling, talking about like, yeah, I think it's why my father used to rape me or something like that. And they're like, Oh, well that's time. Yeah. Like, okay. Whoa. Weird. What a crazy, and, you know, and, and, I didn't get to, I mean, I guess like there was a lounge to lie down and I was, it's weird also when you like go into a therapist's office. I've had this a, a few times where they go, where they go, and it, it's your first time in there and, and you're like, where do I sit? And they're like, I don't know, choose where you want to sit. And I'm like, I don't know. I need you to tell me as the patient what to do. I'm like in your hands. Don't give me a choice. Because my choice would be like, I'm going to turn around and leave. They're testing you from the moment you walk in the door. Like it's a test. Whatever decision he makes is going to be indicative of like who he is as a person. If yeah, it's like in that position on the couch or whatever. It's it's yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it's important that you're talking about this, and I know that we kind of like hopped right into like some pretty. Some I don't pretty, care. I talk about this stuff all the time. I love my it. family. My 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 wife like doesn't want to hear it. No, I like. She's like, wonder. By the way. It's partially because she's been married to me for nine years. Yeah, <laughs> it's a nothing. She nothing she does wrong. She's one. I, she's amazing. I think it's like kind of interesting that even though you're someone who has been really, really successful in your career, that this is still something you struggle with, and it doesn't matter that you've accomplished the things you've accomplished, um, because it's still a common thing that it's like you can have a lot of uh, abundance in your life and, and beautiful children and, and a band that's very, very popular and you've traveled all over the world and you've done all these things, but it's still always, that sadness is still recurring and comes and goes in waves. And so I think it's good for people to hear um, you talk about this kind of thing because it makes them understand that they're not abnormal because they're feeling this way and it doesn't go away just because you achieve things in your life that you set out to achieve that doesn't equal happiness you have to continue to do really hard work in order to strive towards becoming you know a whole and happy person and that that's not something that most people will ever realize in their life but as long as you're striving towards that you're heading in the right direction also i think too being a creative it helps to be very broken <laughs> yeah it's a good brand. place. It, it's a good place. Well, it's, yeah, it's on brand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's very on brand. And no, but it gives you material. You have material to pull from. You have, you know, you get like whether you're, um, you know, I'm like primarily I'm a music guy. So I pull a lot of like 
you know, a lot of what I write musically speaking comes from a very emotional place. And then even the stuff I've started to do outside of music with, with, with writing, um, with, with kind of, kind of some TV stuff and whatnot, you know, anytime I'm sitting there and, and working on character, working on story, it has to come from a, not only just a personal experience, but a personal experience I can really connect to emotionally. And I'm, I'm grateful for, for being such a raw nerve of emotion. It helps. It helps to write things authentically. And also having had so many bad experiences, I have so a wealth of information, true information that I can really hang my hat on mm-hmm. to, to, to write about. Um, and then, you know, I'm like naturally just a weird person. So, you know, that helps too. But I think, I think it's a comfort for anyone who's broken that wants to do creative stuff as being broken is a, a really good fuel for creativity. Yeah, it's like you always, uh, um, so my, my nephew, my wife's uh, nephew, but nephew through marriage is a musician and he's really, really talented. Um, and, uh, he, he and his, uh, his friends like cut an album. I think I sent it to you for you to like, listen to, and they're like, the thing you sent me the other day that was really good. Uh, no, 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 that, that was, that was, uh, this was a while back. That was some random band I found actually. Okay. Um, but they're just, yeah, it was like, it was like the the teenagers, that band. I mean, that was also like for a teenage band, let me say it was like, much better than my teenage fans. Exactly. But like yeah. you listen to the lyrics and I remember thinking to myself, like, this is really good. They're good players for young kids. And I think they're good players in general, but like they need to live a little more life in order sure. to be able to like writing lyrics. First off, writing lyrics is yeah. very hard because I'm not a lyricist. It's funny. It's like I, I write music. I can help with lyrics. I can write stories and characters for other mediums i cannot i I just lyrics are just they're not it's a thing it's almost like i have such a reverence for it i i don't know i feel hokey doing it when other people do it well and i i think it's great um and yeah you have to have you have to have like just you have to have a history to pull from Mm -hmm. when you're 16 you just don't have a lot some 16 year olds unfortunately go through a lot of pain yeah, they do. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, like, I don't wish that upon anybody. We want our children to have these wonderful, perfect, easy, no problem lives. With paradoxical because then it just creates other problems for them. And then at the end of the day, then they have no experience when they get out in the world. They can't relate to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so I'm grateful for all like all, all the touring I did. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up like um, like middle, like middle, middle to upper middle class. Um, my dad's, you know, my dad's a doctor. My mom was just very sick her whole life, uh, mentally and physically. Um, let me make sure we're still recording, on my end. I am sorry. My so yeah, my dad's my you know so I grew up uh, I grew up upper middle class, middle to upper middle class. Dad's a doctor. Uh, Mom was very sick, and um, but you know, I I had like a pretty, like I I never we we were never struggling for housing, 
struggling for food. I think like, you know, being Jewish in, especially in Ohio and like a very anti-Semitic area, that gave me a lot of experience mm -hmm. uh, being called a kike. Yeah. Is that an okay word to say on air? Yeah, say it. Say if, it's about, if it's about me. It's about, no, um, if you are calling another person that, um, yeah. I would allow it, but I, I might not be pleased. But since you're calling yourself that, it's fine. Okay. Or referring to a story where someone called you that. Right, yeah. That's just, yeah, I got called that word, which like, honestly, if anyone doesn't know what that word, it's just like a bastardization of the word keikel from Yiddish, which just means circle. I haven't done enough research on the, on the history of it, but I, it feels I, like it. Because in the, I think in the Holocaust or just in general, when Jews would be asked to make their mark on some sort of like document, they would yeah. never do an X because that oh, was, was so they would draw a circle. Draw a circle, I did know I that, know. yeah. That's what I've heard. It's interesting because it like sort of the origin doesn't, I mean, other than its relation to the Holocaust, it's not like it means like, a dirty piece of shit or something it just it just means circle it's, it's the, you know you add uh, you add value to words or you devalue words in order to make them derogatory or pejorative. totally yeah, yeah no i mean it's it's in the same way where there's a whole discussion about the word usage of the word jew yeah. like i'll just just uh Whatever, however, how you decide to intonate that word can make turn it turn it into a slur. It can go from being a totally fine word like "I'm a Jew" to like "You Jew, don't Jew me," you know. And it's like, I'll Jew you all day long. That is who I am. But anyway, so having like you know having experience being at least on the margins of white culture, not being having one foot in having white skin, but having one foot out being ethnic. You know, at, at, being this part of this ethno religion that was especially in the, in, in the middle of America was like the middle of America, late eighties, early nineties was, was just, there weren't a lot of Jews around where, where we were. So, and then, um, so that combined with touring and seeing the rest of America, how other people live. I also have like a lot of friends that weren't as well off as we were still to have friends that, you know, I get to live in a big old house, but one of you know one of my writing partners lives alone in a an apartment. You know, uh, you know, I always pound on the pavement for the next writing gig. So I mean, you know, I, I I'm friends with all swaths of people class wise. But I think um, being on tour and seeing how different people live, not just in America, but like in the world, that was great. I, I didn't get to see everything. I wandered in some bad neighborhoods though. Uh, and grateful for it. I mean, when I was in China last. How long ago was that? It was before this happened. <laughs> I was, it, was, it was like... Uh, it, oh, it was like three months ago. It might be bordering... Well, I mean, I was in China. I had this bat soup. And then I came back with a cold. It was a few months ago. I don't know. I can't make the connection between that and what's happening. Yeah in the world um no i um was i don't know it's like a it was like a couple it was like a year or two ago my time my time frame's bad but yeah it was over a, well over a year ago but maybe like two years excuse me i was on the um i can't think of the name of the city i was in it's the landlocked sign side of hong kong so it's it's you know proper china um and i was walking around the city um 
and I wandered into like this area, just like kind of like side streets. If you've have you been to any like uh, Asian countries? No, the closest I've been is um, I've been to like the Pacific Rim, so like Micronesia, um, like Saipan, which has Great a movie. tourists, which is not the same. But the streets do have like you know are written in uh, in. Japanese. Is it like the movie? Saipan? Pacific, the Pacific Rim. Oh, no, there weren't uh, large, what are they called? Gaijin? What were they called? I just call them robots. Robots. I call them robots. robots. Um, no, robots. I've never been there. Um, like, like, one fun thing about at least a lot of, like, the a lot of the, like, the Asian countries I've been to is they have, like, these fun kind of, like, oh, you can wander down this, like, very narrow street here. This, you know, it's it's the it's you know similar to kind of like going to Italy or something like that, but nothing like it at the same time. So I'm wandering down these like small, kind of like streets looking for the for the fun weird stuff, not like just weird food or whatever, anything interesting. And I uh, walk by kind of this area that has like it looks like there's like a massage place and like a sort of convenience store kind of thing, but it all looks it looks pretty by most Western standards like pretty shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like seeing, uh, I, I look up and I, I, I realize this must be an apartment building. There's a ton of like laundry hanging out to dry. And I see the amount of laundry is like absurd. And I'm realizing, remembering how poor China is, most of China. And I'm realizing, oh, these apartments must have like, must be like the size, you know, must be like 500 square feet each or something or less and have like at least 10 people in each of them. Like you could just, all of a sudden it's all clicking. I'm seeing how like kind of like disheveled everybody looks and how dirty everybody looks. And it's not bothersome to me. I'm just, I'm bothered more by how hard it must be for them. And I think it's like, I'm grateful for that perspective. Um, I got to spend two weeks, near, nearly two weeks in a small town in Uganda town village uh called gulu and i spent time like at a displacement camp there which was is very difficult on many levels um very eye-opening very difficult it was it was both wonderful and and terrible all at once and i'm grateful for the experience and and seeing all that stuff it's 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 a it's good for you know it's just good to have that in your life. Good to know how the other side lives. You know, when people talk about, when the people say third world or developing countries, they don't, they just can say it. They've never seen it and you don't want to see it. I mean, it's, you don't want to experience it. It's, it's awful. Um, but I'm, I'm glad I, you know, it's, it's weird though. It's like you tying this back into depression. You have these moments where you think everything's all bad and I'm sitting in my big house being like, I guess I'll just, have a kombucha you know it's like you know i can rationally go like my life is awesome i've seen people and seen and been with people that have abysmal horrible disease-ridden poor impoverished lives and i am so grateful for my life but it still doesn't make me feel better (laughs) to like you know like my, my my emotions don't change and i think like a thing that like always bothers me is when someone goes first world problems, first world problems. I think there's, there's a lot of problems to that statement. One, we don't call it the third world anymore. 
it's they're called developing countries mm-hmm. um though i don't even know if that i mean i don't know what they're developing into they're just sort of stagnating and being you know ravaged but either way what problems am i supposed to have am i supposed to get like is my family supposed to get like raped and murdered are we supposed to like be dealing with typhoid in our water like what what are we what problems am i supposed to have i think everyone's allowed to have their problems and their problems can be real within their sphere I just think it's good to keep perspective at the same time. Yeah, like to have that, to have that balance. That's a very like, um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not one of these like uh, woke warriors, but I think it's a very patriarchal view of um, people's emotions and, and diminishing how people feel about certain things because of the lives that they lead. You know, you can still be depressed or upset about something and still have, food and shelter and clothing I, I i think that it's not a it's not a zero-sum thing it's not well, like it's like it, it's invalidating you can't invalidate you don't invalidate people's real feelings or people's experiences like, yeah it's very much like oh rub some dirt on it type of thing which is a very like masculine machismo attitude towards suffering which i think is not a productive or constructive way to uh try to help people who might be feeling sad about certain things and I think there's definitely times where people are upset about certain things that that don't seem rational um, and uh, and you may not see from their perspective, but it doesn't disqualify them from feeling that way. If they feel that way, they feel that way. Yeah, I mean, that make a choice to continue to feel that way. And I think that those people are forming a relationship with their sadness or depression that's that's unhealthy or maybe doing it for attention. Um, But for the most part, if you're suffering, you're suffering, right? So, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, there's a difference between like being like, I don't like any of the t-shirts that I have and I'm going to be throw a fit about it. And like, oh, I just lost this like job that I really loved. Yeah. Like I'm doing fine financially. But, and that, that was my, by the way, that was, as you know, that was my, the press moment I lost this project that I had been developing for years and it got, you know, it went and then it didn't go and it was very depressing for me while I was still going like, who cares? Like in reality, who gives a fucking shit? But like, I gave a shit, yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm also at the same time grateful that I have clothes. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, I'm not being a, I'm not being a little, little rich bitch about, about things. I'm okay. just, um, important though, because uh, I think that you're touching on is really important. I'll go back to what I was just saying of like, you know, just because you don't just because like I can still be thankful of the fact that I have gainful employment and I have great friends and a wonderful family and I can still I can still be thankful for all for all that and it doesn't mean that I can't mourn for some things that happened in my life or feel grief over things that are going on in my life for my position and I think that how can you have perspective if you don't know about both sides you know there's this mentality though especially in our country I don't know how it is in other places, but I have noticed it more definitely seemingly, it seems like it's more here in the U S of like, well, you know, there's children starving in Africa and it's like, yeah, I know that. And I feel badly about that. But I also, uh, I also can feel badly about things in my life that are affecting me. And so, yeah, I mean like first up back to what I was saying about that as someone that has spent time around children starving in Africa, literally. And that doesn't make me, 
an authority on children starving in Africa. I just have had that experience. That's all I can say there. But first off, most people are never going to have know what it, never going to hang out with starving African children in Africa. Mm-hmm. They're never going to. I mean, most people in in the United States who are doing relatively okay will probably not have that experience or seek that experience out. And if you have had that experience, as I have, remembering that doesn't fix your emotional problems, definitely doesn't fix having an actual mental disorder, which depression, clinical depression is. There's other far more severe mental disorders, though depression can be very, can get very severe. I just don't want to paint it like I'm some sort of like um, mentally ill victim. Mm. But, uh, it doesn't make it doesn't fix things you know and also it's it's it's, that that even goes back to like the if you don't finish your food you know there's children starving in africa if you finish your food does that fill their tummy (laughs) (laughs) like come on it's it's stupid i mean like it's not stupid to think about them and to learn about them and to know as much as you can and try to use your empathy to feel for them and remind yourself that you're lucky because you have more than they have, but still doesn't negate when something bad within the sphere of your life happens to you. They shouldn't mourn it. You shouldn't, you know, sometimes it's okay to feel bad about yourself. It's part of the process of getting over something. Yeah. Or or just personal growth in general is personal growth. And like, fuck anyone like invalidating your feelings by saying first world problems. It's different than like, you know, even if I'm sitting down at a restaurant and someone like, I'm like, ah, oh, they fucking forgot to put cheese in my burger. And that's about as much as my reaction might be. <laughs> my reaction probably would be like, I'd get through it, finish my burger. And I'd be like, ah, oh, I think they forgot to put cheese on there. <laughs> someone else goes, first world problem fan. I'd be like, I wasn't, it's not even a problem. I'm just saying something. I'm just saying that they didn't remember the thing I ordered. I don't care really. Mm-hmm. And that's like a lot of, that's a lot of, you got to reserve that for uh, the most spoiled of people, maybe. Or maybe just think of something else. Maybe call somebody saying, don't be a spoiled brat. It's a good yeah. thing to say, I guess, to an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> how am I doing? Um, I'm doing well. I mean, I think all things considered, I have, uh, I have moments mm-hmm. and come and go. Yesterday was kind of hard for me. Um, but for the most part, I, I, I just, I find myself being like, I really like for this to not be exist anymore. But then there's also times. The quarantine? Where, what was that? The quarantine, you mean? Quarantine, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. not the quarantine, the disease in general. Like, well, I guess, I guess, I guess, sorry, part and parcel. One, yeah. now, you can't have one without the other, I guess, is how, well, I, is how, is how my brain, my brain pairs it all together. I'd love to have the disease, but not the quarantine. Not the quarantine? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I, uh, I would love. Or what I, about no disease, but yes, quarantine. <laughs> Some people do that anyway. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm just starting to like miss things that I really miss. Like I want to go on a trip with my friends somewhere. I want to hang, I want to go on a trip with my wife. I want to, you know. Go out to dinner with yeah, friends, go out to lunch. With, yeah. Go. I want to take I, my daughter to, you know, the indoor playground or take her to. I love to take Ruby bowling, man. We've been talking about it. She's like, when are we going to go bowling? And I'm like, 
still can't. <laughs> so I guess that's that's something that that I contend with. But I also there's moments of like great like this is kind of awesome. That that happens too. Of like I'll have a a spread of like four or six hours where like I've done all my work and I can just read a book and know like my wife I'm, my wife's not gonna ask me to go anywhere. No one's gonna ask me to go anywhere. I can't go anywhere. So I'm just gonna do this thing that's enriching. Or like last night I watched a show all of it all at once is like, all right, just do it. I don't, you know, I've, I do like the excuse to kind of do not lazy, but like self-serving kind of things like that. Like play video games, watch movies, watch TV, read books. I do also like, I'm somewhere between a homebody and a, and a, and a, and a social butterfly mm-hmm. where I don't mind being at home all the time for the most part. But then sometimes my family gets so on top of each other that I have to break out and leave. That's a yeah. nice way of me saying I get really sick of my family sometimes. <laughs> For the most part, I, I don't. My, my kids are little and cute and they're just like love. They're like two little daddy's girls. I'm like, how could I be sick of that really? But it is nice. I miss my friends. I miss you and I going to like, um, you know, Moose on Franks, you know, like I miss yeah. just being able to do that, being like, hey man, like, are you busy right now? I'm like, uh i could take a break for like an hour you know and get lunch like that's nice um it is nice uh getting in the car and having no traffic yeah that's something that's great too i've noticed like you get like i've always said southern california i think is a great place to live and it has its shortcomings for sure just like any place sure this if this place could figure out transit in a way where it didn't take you an hour and a half to go 50 miles or four miles four miles yeah um then it would be the absolute greatest place on earth to live and so when you when you when you driving places now you're like if it were like this but all of the things were available to us i'd be like what a paradise we would live in you know and it's still pretty nice to live here also oh yeah man i mean yeah, we can't have. We, I guess you have to close everything down to make the roads. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun, it's, yeah. it, you know, you know, it's like really interesting. Like, um, this is you know this. Speaking of first world problems, I'm gonna lay a first world problem right on your lap. So you know, we bought this house in Palm Springs. Is a house we about to fix up, and uh, then to rent out. So it's you know, passive income. One day in the future, we would maybe use it as a vacation home. Uh, if we got, you know, if we could get, but, you know, it was, it was a way to kind of create another source of just kind of passive income. And then we got it ready to rent out for Coachella and then <laughs> the world fell apart. It's fine. It's, you know, is what it, boohoo, you know, but, um, so, but we started spending more time in, in Palm Springs before the virus was announced before it made its debut. It's debut yeah. <laughs> and, you know, before everything got shut down on it was nice to go to palm springs and four miles took 10 minutes maybe yeah. you know at the most to drive and you're like oh that's how long that takes oh that's how, oh that's incredible i mean i'm not sure the lack of traffic there now is any was far different than how it was like i love that it's like kind of sleepy and yeah. i think there's a part of me that like wants to escape to a sleepy town and there's the other part of me that goes well i have to be in la to work 
this is where all the all the work is this is where everything is mm-hmm. and um i shouldn't be so ready to retire at 35 i'm i'm lucky i'm lucky i could even think of potentially doing that yeah um but you know it's 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 uh i i think i when this all ends which will be for the better obviously i'm going to miss the lack of people around when you go out because I remember it's one thing. The only thing that was nice about being in Ohio was that there wasn't anybody out. So you could ride your bike everywhere and play out in the street. And, um, but you know, what came with that was nothing. Yeah. I was, you're, I, I was, you can't get it all. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's as he said like uh, a downside to southern california is there's a lot of people that want to be here and there are so there are a lot of people here and there's a lot of traffic and i think also if you work in entertainment of any kind whether it's music tv film blo- blogging uh porn porn porn, uh, porn blogging then you get the to really experience what the tri- the LA traffic trope is, which it's a real thing. I can't believe we're talking about traffic. No, it's fine. You can talk about anything you want. I know, but we shouldn't talk about traffic. We it, it led us here. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um. What? When? I I don't think I've ever. Maybe I've asked you this before, but I think people would be interested to know because people. A lot of people are, they want to chase their dream, right? They want to do something where they, yeah. get, they get to live their lives and they get to do the thing that they love. And that's what allows them to, to their source of income, allows them to have their lifestyle. And you're someone that's been able to do that. You, you grew up loving music. You learned how to play an instrument really, really well. You started a band and your band became one of the most popular bands on the planet. When was the moment that you had that, or or do you even recall it when you're like, or did you ever have this moment where you're like, holy shit, this is it. Like, I, this is it. I did this. And, and, at, and when you had that moment, was there sort of this grace period? And then it like declined a little bit because you had that moment and, and you realized it and it just became this thing that got bigger and bigger and bigger. And did it become less enjoyable for you? It's very interesting. Cause it's a very good question. It's a really, really good question. Obviously it's very loaded. So I had like a lot of these, these moments. So first there was the, the moment when I, when I was like, Oh my God, our band just got very big, which was 2005 warp tour. We were, uh, uh, it was it was us and and my chemical romance were on warp tour as well. We both had put out our first major label records and put out our, our first major la- major label singles, and they both became massive hits. And you could see our, our crowds on the main stages go from like a few thousand to like the entire warp tour park is like fifteen twenty thousand. And I was like, oh my god, this is what it looks like when when you have a hit song. Mm-hmm. And then we coasted on being a big band for a while. And I think it was, it was until 
leaving New York when uh, my wife and I, when she got pregnant with, with Ruby, we left New York, we came to LA and I, uh, we got this house and it was like the biggest, you know, I was living in a 600, 680 square foot apartment. I don't know why we're doing that to ourselves, but we were. And yeah, everybody else in my band had had a had a big old house or something, and a lot of my friends had big old houses. You know, a lot of my my biz my biz friends. I was like, I'm gonna get one of those too. And I didn't think we'd get we'd get. I thought we'd go a little smaller than this, but I, I love what we have. I'm very grateful. And I think like it was it was until more recently when I was like, yeah, I don't really know what else like we could do with this. Like we we um we booked this like big tour with Green Day and Weezer. It was like a stadium tour. And I thought that was probably about the last big thing we could, the last like different thing we could do. I, I didn't think like, I, th- I I don't know, like, you know, I, I was like, I, I think this is about, this is about it. I'm not saying this is the end of the band. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying, I don't know like what else there is. I never expected all of this. I never wanted for all of this. Um, I just wanted to keep doing it and for it to be sustaining financially and for it to be fun. Unfortunately, when it, when something like this becomes your job, the, the fun gets sucked out of it. It's also, you're not doing it alone. So, so you know, you may not agree with everybody all the time, um, but I'm really grateful for it. There has um, to be part of you though, Joe, that when you picked up a guitar, when you were like a young adolescent or teenager that said like, I'm going to learn how to play music so I can, Oh, a hundred percent. Let me, t- let me, I'll tell you exactly what happened. I mean, to tell you more or less what happened. I, I, my parents had me play like instruments, just like a lot of kids' parents do. And I, uh, so I went from piano to viola to trombone. And then I was like, I'm sick of playing trombone. I'd like to play guitar. And my dad, you know, got me a cheap guitar in exchange for getting good grades or like B's. Mm-hmm. I was not getting those. And I got a guitar and I, at the time, this is the nineties and like rock and roll or what is considered rock music was, was that was big. It's like Nirvana food or not food fighters, but uh, Nirvana Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, even like Jesus lizard was being played on the radio in Chicago. Like, you know, it was just, um, you know, every, everything on you know, MTV was showing videos. The VMA still meant something. Yeah, bands were things. So I was like, I want to do that. I want to be in a band. By the time I started Fall Out Boy and Fall Out Boy became a thing, it's really interesting how like being a guitar player became, because back then, like being a guitar player, that was like one of the, one of the, the really uh, touchstone parts of, of a group was being a guitar. We needed the guitar player. You needed the lead singer, you need the guitar player. Now it's like that paradigm's gone, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm a guitar player in a really big band in a world where guitar players are like, you know, at least in popular music, they're like, yeah, I think I heard your guitar playing on that song. And I'm like, that's a synth, (laughs) but sure. Thanks. Glad you liked it. Um, And it's fine. I mean, like, you know, um, I think just what's happened over the years is I've learned the inner workings of the business. I've gotten, luckily gotten to work all the way to, what is probably close to the, if not the top of the business, you know, like bottom to bottom, the top. 
And, uh, you know, you the old adage you see behind the wizard's curtain, it's not so exciting. And you, you learn how the sea of the sausage is made. And it's kind of, a, you know, create some disillusion. And, um, you know, but that isn't to say that I don't love music. I don't love playing music. I don't love doing the band. I'm just, you know, um, there are only moments that are fun. You know, like recording's fun. Playing live is fun. But that's like a small percentage of doing a band. It's a lot of, it's a business when it becomes this large. And I think also, it's not, it's, it's really interesting. Like, I, I've told you the story about like, when I moved out to LA, I was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to do music for TV and film. Did I tell you like, that was like what I wanted to do. I think we talked about that and how I like, cause I was looking for like, what's the next thing? Cause it's like, you hit this point, if you're lucky enough to get to the top of something and maybe that's good enough for you, or maybe you're somebody like me, that's never satisfied. So always looking for like, what's the next thing I can try to do. I want to see if I can do this thing. And I was like, well, all I know is music. I'm going to do music for TV and film. And it wasn't really a, a thing in, in New York anymore. So I was, it was part of the reason I wanted to move to LA. And then I got out and I started kind of sort of getting inklings of jobs like that, like the beginnings of it. And I was like, I don't like this. This isn't for me. Like I'm used to making music kind of, be, I'm used to being one of the people in charge of this. And when you're doing it for, for TV and film, you're doing it for other people. And understandably, so you're doing it for directors, you're doing it for networks or studios, you know, there, there are, you're servicing somebody else, somebody else's project, other people. And that wasn't my thing. And then, uh, but I was really lucky to kind of get like roped into television because I found a thing that I always loved which was like, you know, I grew up like I was like latchkey, like you, you probably were too, like grew up in front of a TV. So I like just did nothing but watch TV all the time. And I care about it. Like I care about TV. So it's really funny that I, but, but I never thought about like even attempting to work in it because I already feel like a fraud as a musician. And uh, <laughs> why do you, why do you feel like a fraud as a musician? In my mind, because, and this isn't my dad's fault or my mom's fault, but my, they both went to graduate school and, yeah, my mother had to drop out of medical school because she got very sick. But my dad, you know, to become a doctor, he had to complete that medical school. So my parents are like, you know, my mother's dead, but you know, they both went to college and they got they're very smart. I mean, getting the degree doesn't qualify their intelligence, but they got like very difficult to get degrees. You know, it took a lot of time to get. And I dropped out of college after a quarter. I didn't go to music school. I didn't. And I was going, here's the thing. The thing I know is like a lot of people that go to music school, like have a very difficult time becoming like real, like songwriters because they're so stuck in music school. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't go to like some NYU school for the arts screenwriting thing, which again, like, I feel like there's, there's probably more success for, for, for writers in school. But still, like, it doesn't mean I can't write. But in my in, in my head, whether it's music or whether it's writing, I'm I'm like, I feel like a frog. So I feel like I'm just like trying to be something that other people have spent, you know, went to school for and spent a long time developing. And I'm just like, I can do it too, guys. And and, and well, here's the, but the thing is, Joe, like you've done it. 
you know, so it's a sort of yeah. thought about something that you actively have accomplished. Oh, I have, I have, I have, impo I have imposter, sin I have imposter syndrome, like yeah, no one's business. And it's good that you are saying that you feel that way, because I think there's a lot of people that even have a, you know, entry level corporate job or, or working at any sort of job. And they're going, I don't think I should be, here. I don't think I know what I'm doing. And I think it's, it's an interesting thing to hear someone like yourself say that because it's like, you get a better understanding of uh we all kind of feel as though we're winging it oh i think everyone's faking it till they make it and when they make it they continue to fake it because it, it's all diving into the deep end and just hoping you can swim i think every executive i've ever dealt with on both the music and the tv side that has been a complete dick is doing it because they also have imposter syndrome, but they're not willing to admit it because they fear if they admit it out loud, then that makes them an imposter. Instead of like, you admit it, then everyone goes, yeah, I feel that way too. And you feel better and you're happier. I can admit I'm an imposter to myself and still I'm going to go out and make, make things. I'm going to try to like make records and try to get people to buy my stupid TV shows and even put finance my own tv shows and put them on the internet i'll do whatever to make stuff i like making things that's all it really comes from that but of course i also want it to be i want to, it to be respected and i want it to be considered good by others i want validation i want success and success to me is measured in, in so many levels at this point it's not it's a lot you know obviously the the normalization of success is money but i just mean like people to go that's good and we like it and everyone likes it that to me like yeah that's success where do you but, think that where do you think that stems from where do you think that need is that just a basic human need humans need? i remember this thing where i used to like uh tell jokes and then laugh at my jokes this is like in like elementary school and then people tell me like you can't laugh at your own jokes, which isn't true, by the way. You can absolutely laugh at your own jokes. You laugh at your own jokes a lot. I do all the time. <laughs> you think <laughs> it's really funny. I do think I'm very funny. Yeah. yeah. You are. Yeah. It's okay to admit it. Thanks, man. I don't I don't I just think I am. I don't know if I am, but I like I find myself you think it is I find myself entertaining. Yeah. And I, I got told I couldn't laugh at my own jokes. It made me feel really bad and self-conscious. And I think it made me it was part of it and it's part of what set me out to go prove people wrong it's funny i didn't decide to go into like at first into comedy even though i did do a little bit of like taking some improv -y classes in chicago and stuff but it's funny that like it just didn't end up going into music i also think music was always like it's weird i just don't i think my dad played a lot of piano he was in a college band called Dr. T and the MDs, little, little Booker T yeah. parody. Terrible. Um, Terrible. I, got the, I got the poster somewhere. Dr. <laughs> T and the MDs. It's like, it's like everyone's draw, everyone's body is a drawing and then it's actual like photocopies of their heads or like actual photos. And my dad is like on the operating table and all the rest of the band is like operating on him. And he's like in the midst of singing or whatever. It's, he's got an Afro like me right now. Sounds great. It's great. Yeah. But so I think it was a comp that my parents played like a lot of music. I just, they played so much music and I guess then they have me play instruments. I don't know. And then what, again, 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 nineties MTV, just all like 
but but at the same time i also was always very especially i have to give this up to my dad who was like really good about exposing me to monty python and mel brooks and and steve martin and like real comedy like the important touchstones of what i believe make good comedy i think probably you would agree and a lot of other comedians would agree but there's comedy subjective we can say that too <laughs> but you know i got exposed to both like heavily heavily especially the comedy thing man like my dad was just so like you got to watch this movie you got to watch this movie you got to see this thing i remember i used to rent all this this the 70s saturday night live things from like from the star flicks you know and watch like the old eddie murphy sketches and we've all seen them but like i guarantee you talk to somebody in their 20s now and they're like i don't know what that is and like you have you, you haven't seen bill murray sing the star wars theme song it's incredible hmm. um when, when was the first time that you were like i'm really that you had the realization like i'm really good at playing i'm good really good at guitar I've never thought that about myself. I still don't never. think that way. <laughs> I just do it. I go, I record something. I go, that sounds like, I'm, that sounds like a very good impression. It has, have I have a very, I have a very, you have to understand. I have, I have a, I'm a glutton for punishment that also um, won't stop. Like I won't stop trying, but I have a very, I have very low self-esteem and I'm a glutton for punishment. So like, but I'm what, obsessed. I'm obsessed with wanting to feel what feels like a good guitar player or what feels like a funny person or whatever. I'm obsessed with all that stuff, but I'm always, you know, I'm risking my emotions and risking my esteem, which is very low. What, what, when was the first time someone said like, because people tell you, you play well, that's ha that happens. Yeah. So I pre and I pre. By the way, I appreciate I appreciate you saying that. I'm not looking for compliments. I'm not fishing. I'm I'm. Um, well, I, know, I don't think so. I'm saying other people. No, that's sorry. I meant by you. I meant other people. No, I, I don't like your playing. I know um, you don't. Thank you. I appreciate the honesty. Oh, I love. I, love I mean, I've I've seen you play, and I think you're an incredible guitarist. I mean, that's I'm, not, I'm not a musician, but I watching you play, I'm like. Wow, he's very competent in doing that, and you know, you know, I, I like we like a lot of the same music. Sure, we yeah. Listen to a lot of the same, you know, we, we have a, similar opinions on a lot of music, and so, you know, as someone that you are friendly with, whose opinion you respect, when I tell you, I think you're a really, really, really good player. We're just fr we're just friendly. I thought we were friends. No, no, we're, we're you know we talk. Okay. Um, oh my god. No, we're very we're very close. That's the only that's the only earth shattering moment of this entire podcast for me no but uh but like does that that doesn't do anything for you and i i understand that because like i have trouble receiving compliments from people as well yeah, i'm bad I'm, I'm like good at saying thank you for them and i do when i say i appreciate them i do because like my self-esteem is so low this is not a pity party thing i'm just being honest it's just so low that compliments just keep me from hitting from like breaking through the bottom of the barrel <laughs> there was like oh th thank you and like it's part of depression too you know i was trying to explain depression through this project that you know about mm -hmm. and i was trying to explain that like depression's always there you can feel happy sometimes but the happiness is almost like manic you feel like quick and then it goes away very fast and and that's like good news a compliment from somebody I respect. Um, 
you know, those things make me feel good. But then that feeling's gone. I can't live. Like some people like I think can like live in that for a long time to a detriment. I also do think like I have this work ethic to keep getting better and keep, I don't think there's ever, I don't believe there's ever a, you have done it. You're as good as you can ever be. I think you can always get better. There's always more to learn. There's always more to do. There's always more to try. And I, uh, that's how I operate. And I think it's a a combination of nature and nurture. Again, my dad being a workaholic doctor who spent, my dad has spent fucking forever, man, like trying to become the boss, like to be the guy. The, my dad's a cardiologist. He's specifically an electrophysiologist, which means he, he deals with heart rhythm, but he's a cardiologist. My dad works at Rush Hospital in Chicago. Before that, he worked at the Cleveland Clinic in, a, in Cleveland, and he worked at a hospital in Philadelphia. He worked in S- South Florida, where I was born. Um, you know, so he's been, he's been around. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad's 66. He's been a practicing physician for at least 30 years. And now he's the head of cardiology at Rush Hospital. Let me ask you, do you think he's, ha- you think he feels happy? No. He is not happy. He got what he wanted. And like, is he, he feels like vindicated probably and validated. He's not happy. I don't think so. That's not where the happiness lies. Or at least, I don't know. Either way, that's who I am. I'm him. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never, and it sounds like, I think I'm, I've learned to be more grateful. I'm not sure he's, I'm not saying he isn't grateful. It's different being a doctor. It's different. You really have these, like, it's, it's, there, it is more like, um, it's this trade that it's very, tan- it's almost very tangible. Like you start at the bottom and you work to here and you work to here and you get to here and hopefully eventually you get to here. It's harder in the arts, but I know that I've reached with music more or less the apex of success and i'm very grateful for it so grateful and i'm very grateful for the doors that is open for me creatively in other worlds again like the stuff in tv you know being in being in fall play helps get into rooms to talk to people i have to have like a somewhat of a competent brain and mouth that function together to get me any further than just into the room but um you know, that helps. I'm super grateful. I'm grateful for all of this stuff. Does that make me happy? <sighs> you think it would just, that would be it, right? I mean, there are, I, there are, and by kids, I mean both actual like kids and, and it's a, a, a term we band folk use to refer to the fans, the kids. Mm-hmm. But there, there, there are people who would, fucking give a limb would kill a sibling just to like be where I am and I get that and I remember being that way again it was like my that was my like I want to be a policeman dream like and I got it Mm -hmm. I mean it's much easier to become a policeman I think but I think don't you just have to shoot an impoverished or does that happen after you become a cop? Sorry, I don't know. This I don't is, know how it works. 
we're not doing a blue lives matter uh, thing here. Uh, I'm not we're not, gonna, we're no. not going to do that. Okay. But I think no, but, not to the, uh, not to, but, but do you get, but, but do you get, but, but do you, do you get, am I making myself clear? Like yeah, that, yeah. that, like the, 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 the it's a struggle of like reminding. It doesn't matter what you do or what you do for work. The issues are there because the issues are there. And if you would have been a physicist, you would have still felt the same way about it's who I am. It's who I am. Yeah. There are people, and I don't know if it's true, but there are people like, you know, you, 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 they're interviews. So it's hard to know how they really feel, but you know, like uh, somebody we work, we worked with Elton John on a record once. And by we, I just really mean our the singer Fall Out Boy, Patrick did the, you know, he went and worked with Elton John and Elton John ended up on our record. We ended up actually working with him on a video later. So I finally got to meet him. He's a very, very nice guy. Um, he's a guy that still like keeps up on like what's happening in music. And I think I, I get the feeling he's like, he seems like the kind of guy that wakes up every day and he's like really so happy to be this world-class musician. Mm. He couldn't have wanted for more. And again, I don't know him. He might feel the same way I do, that it's not the thing that gives him happiness, but he's very grateful for it. Um, I wish I could be that way. I've heard him or at least other legacy, you know, artists talk about their art, bringing them all the satisfaction in the world and, and more, even though they continue to create more art. But um, my my wife tells me I will never be satisfied and I will never be happy. And she doesn't say that as a jerk. She says that because she knows me. I will never be satisfied. I will never be happy. There is no, there's, there's just, I don't know. I'm just, and I'm, I think again, it's both a positive and a negative. The positive is like, it keeps me creating. It keeps me making things. It keeps me active. It keeps me thinking. Um, the bad side is it keeps me self-flagellating. But do you think that if you did find a way to accept the hap, like, because being ha you're your own barrier to your own happiness, you know, that, that that's there. You don't have to. Of course, it's all me. It's not anyone else. Do you think that if you were able to somehow overcome that barrier through work, through ther more therapy or whatever, that you wouldn't be able to still think and you wouldn't be able to still be creative. I mean, no, no, I, I, I don't be what you would, what your create, what, what, it, what would you create if you were, uh, <laughs> is everything okay? It's yeah, it's fine. It's just, I just, uh, the child lock just fell down. I don't know. Why I have a child lock in my recording studio. Um, what sort of art you would create if you were happy? Would it be of a different quality? Would it, would it be better? Would it be more? I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm, I don't I used to worry about would satisfaction there's this old do, do you remember the band Hatebreed yeah sure their first record satisfaction is the death of desire <laughs> that's the name of the record <laughs> it's a good it's a great it's still a great record yeah. but um it's a great record that phrase actually it's funny it, it is I, or i worry i used to worry that it would be that if i was felt satisfied would i want to make things anymore i don't know that's a it's hard to know you, you would assume oh, excuse me 
you would assume logically if you felt satisfied like if you feel satisfied eating you don't want more food however eventually you get hungry again not true. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just talking about a regular. I'm not talking about you and I. I will just keep it. Yeah. But whatever. I mean, that's like that's the logic that prevails, right? If your stomach yeah. is full, you don't want to put more food in your stomach. You're yeah. satisfied. Yeah. You're sat. You're sat. Sated. Oh. But but does happiness and satisfaction are those two different things? Because can you? Still- they are. They are different. They are different things. Satisfaction is is I think that would end if i felt satisfied i don't think it's ever a, a, a way for me to go i think i finished the chapter of, of work like the career chapter i'm done i mean one day when i'm older maybe one day when i'm older and i go i think I've, I've done everything i could do i just kind of want to go like do things paint watercolors in palm springs mm-hmm. it by myself not for anybody else and hang out with my wife and you know you know facetime with my grandkids or whatever you know like or whatever they're gonna do next whatever the future of facetime is uh i can't think of a bit for that but um happiness i don't think happiness would ruin me making stuff it would just i mean i'd make maybe some different things i think a lot of like I wish I remember like what comedian I like found this comedian on Instagram. I watched like part of his set on there. And he said like depression is just being a realist. Mm. He said something to that effect. And I was like, thought that was a really astute observation. Like when you're depressed, you just see things for how they are. I don't think I, I mean, it's again, it's, he told it as a joke. I can't remember the joke. I'm just paraphrasing the kind of summation of it. Um, but I don't know if like the way I see things through the eyes of a depressed person, if they would, uh, if if I remove that, if I'd be creating the same, if I'd have like, if I'd find the same humor. Maybe I would. I wouldn't want, I think I like, I like, though I find it actually less, I find that I have to, I've had to learn how to pepper dark humor into things, especially like work-wise for any, pro, any for any kind of developments or anything. Like if I go too dark, I usually get a lot of notes about maybe reeling back some of the dark, <laughs> um, which I don't know if I should be listening to those notes or not, but uh, you know, I worry that I would lose all of it if I just felt, but then it's, you know, I I go back to a thing we talked about at the beginning of this, where I think I wouldn't forget my experiences. Yeah. Like I would forget. It's not like, would I lose my sense of my dark sense of humor? My, my kind of funny glass half empty self. If I lost my depression in a good way, I don't mean like lose it in the hamper. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to lose your depression in the hamper? If you wanted, it, yeah. yeah. It's what I want. To, it's what I want to do. I want that. Never. Um, um, well, we've gone for like a while. Yeah, we've gone for a while. I'm going to, uh, I, I don't know if you want this on your podcast, but I'm hungry. 
I'm, I want to go. You start talking about food too. I'm very. I'm like ready to go eat. I, I think you, were, you, were, you yawned a few times. I thought, wow, this is. I always yawn. I'm like always yawning. I also didn't fall asleep till two a.m. Oh my god. <sighs> I didn't get fall asleep till two a.m. I was up. Marie started watching. She'd never watched Mindhunter, she, wow. so she started watching it. First season's really good. They're both good, I think. She started watching it, and then like she fell asleep. Then I just kept watching the first season again. I was like, I hadn't rewatched anything in so long. I forgot how good, like, really, like, forgot how great that show is. But anyway, so I was up until two in the morning watching a show I've seen again. Yeah. I was like, I'm just gonna keep watching. Who cares? I'm like, oh my god, it's two in the fucking morning. I, I've seen this show. I'm just, I'm an idiot. It's so uh, dumb. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, this is the second episode I've done. This one was it's really interesting. So thanks. It was good. No, thanks for having me, bud. I hope to come back on again. Yeah, we'll come back on as I continue to figure out what this thing is. Well, this is just is. This just is. <laughs> Later, man. Later, man. I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Joe. I think that hearing someone like Joe talk about his struggles is good for people. We all have our own issues that we're trying to work through each day, and it's universal. Just because you may seemingly have abundance in your life and you've accomplished great things, by most measures, you still have to do the work on yourself. And Joe's someone who's doing this all the time, and it's obviously not easy. It rarely is for anyone. Also, don't let people dismiss or diminish your struggles. You are entitled to feel sad, frustrated, and angry, but it's what you do with it that's important. I think that Joe also serves as an example of someone who's taken their sadness, their suffering, and I'm sure anger and frustration, and done something constructive with it that keeps him motivated. Creating music or art might not be your thing, and that's okay. But I would just encourage you to find your thing, whatever it is, and do what makes you feel better. And I'm not talking about vices, which many of us struggle with, but those are short-term solutions to long-term problems. Find what makes you happy and go towards it. You will be rewarded. I promise you. So thank you for listening. I remind you that we have our breath and we have each other and the rest is bullshit. This just is. This just is.